From Parkway Church in Kurana, this is the Parkway Podcast. Our prayer is that this message blesses and encourages you today as you listen. If you would like to know more information on who we are as a church, you can visit our website, weareparkway.com. Well, if you have a Bible, turn to Matthew chapter 16, verse 21. A few weeks ago, we began, it was a number of weeks ago now, we began a little bit of a journey called disillusioned, and we're examining doubt in the life of a follower of Jesus and how doubt can actually push us to greater faith. And so we're looking at stories of biblical characters who actually had moments of doubt. And if, if we are real and we're honest, doubt in God, doubt in faith, is something all of us battle at some point. But what do we do when we're there? That's really the question. What do we do when we get there? Last time that I shared, I spoke about John the Baptist. John was the one who prepared the way of the Lord. He literally introduced Israel to Jesus. God had stirred his heart as he was baptizing people. Jesus shows up on the scene. He says, there is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He knew who Jesus was, and then he finds himself in prison, and he has this moment of doubt. And so he sends his disciples, he sends word to Jesus, are you the one who is to come? And, and through that, we learn that we can bring those questions to God. We can actually bring those things um, to the Lord and, and seek answers. And today I want to look at an instance with Peter. So if you have your Bible, we're going to start in verse 21. I, I think it might be on the screen for us. I kind of threw them a couple, you know, curveballs with our baby coming because they had prepared a few weeks back. And so here it is, verse 21, it says this, from that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Peter took him aside and he began to rebuke him. Never, Lord, he said, this shall never happen to you. Jesus turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Let's bow our heads one more time. Father, as we open up your scripture, I pray again that you'd speak to us. Lord, I think all of us have moments in our life where we ask questions or we have moments of doubt or we feel disillusioned. And I pray that you'd speak to us through this. And Holy Spirit, do what you do. Do grab a hold of that heart and, and stir that heart and convict of sin and, and lead us to transformation this morning. I pray that you'd speak through me, Lord, and you'd give us ears to hear what you want to say in Jesus' name. Amen. So let's talk about expectations and, and disillusionment and disappointment. Disillusionment, disillusionment it's a tongue twister, is, is when your expectations don't meet your reality. When your expectations of whatever it may be don't meet with your reality, you can find yourself disillusioned. It's when we, when we develop expectations, we paint a picture in our mind of how things should be or are going to be, how they would look and feel, how people will behave and, and respond. And when our expectations aren't in harmony with our experiences, we experience disillusionment, which can lead to doubt. So let me give you a couple illustrations. One's a little bit nicer, one's a little bit harder for me, at least. As a kid... I grew up one day, I grew up with a dream of one day visiting Disney World. 
I remember watching Disney movies as a kid. You know, you do that, and you have the, the castle that appears, and I, I'd get something stirred in me, like, one day I'm going to go, and there'd be commercials back when you had commercials when you watched things on TV. I don't want any more because we just stream everything, and we're, like, on-demand kind of people. But I remember seeing commercials of Disney World and just being like, Oh, and I, I couldn't wait. My parents promised me that one day they would take me to Disney World, and they never did. And I'm still dealing with that trauma. <laughs> Mom, Dad, if you're listening, shame on you. Just kidding. But I, I remember dreaming of one day visiting Disney World. I had all these expectations of how it was going to be, and then I got married to Jody. This is before we even have kids, and we went on vacation with with her family to Florida, and one of the, one of the days we were going to go to Disney World. And I was like, you know, middle 20s. I don't know, 26 maybe, 25, 26. And I was stoked. Like inner child in me was just coming out like hardcore. Like uh, this is it. This is 25 years of dreaming of this. I'm, I'm expecting big things. And they do a great job when you are driving towards Disney World, if you've ever been there. You know, there's just like the, the big signs and you kind of just get excited. And then you park your car and you get on the tram and you drive over the water and you can see the gate and you can see the castle and you just, you just, the air is being sucked out of you and you're getting so excited. And I remember us getting through the gate and we walked in. I'm standing there looking at the castle and I'm pretty sure the words that came out of my mouth were, this is it? <laughs> I, was, I was legit disappointed. I, was, I had high expectations and Disney World did not show up at all. This was not what I expected. Let me tell you another story. Go back in a, maybe a decade earlier than that. I'm about 15 years old and I'm in Monterey, Mexico on a missions trip with my church. And my mom and my sister are with us and we're having a fantastic time ministering. We're doing like you know, street ministry, and we're seeing, like, God do incredible things, like miraculous things. People are being healed. People are being saved. Demons are being exercised, something I've never witnessed and have not since witnessed since, like, miraculous things, work of God. And I don't know if you've ever been on a mission trip before, anything like that, but it does something in your spirit. Like, you get, you get high on the spirit. You just get excited. You get full of expectation, and I came home as, as a 15-year-old with expectation that all the things that God had done there, he's going to do at home. And I remember coming home, I, I think it was the night that we got home, to my father, who had renounced Christ, walked away from the church, and wanted to leave our family. Where was the God that was on the mission strip? My expectations did not meet my reality. It's been said that expectations are resentments under construction. You and I live in a world of expectations. Let's be honest. We have expectations for every aspect of our life. You have expectations for your relationships, for your spouse, for your kids, for your family members. You have expectations for your jobs, for your employer, for your employees, for your coworkers. We have expectations on our churches for our pastors, for our leaders, for our fellow Christians. We have expectations for our communities, for our neighbors, for our governments, for our officials and MPs and MPPs. We have expectations for ourselves. And we have expectations for God. We have painted in our minds pictures, whether individually crafted or maybe assisted by what we've heard or what we've been taught of what God should do and how God should act. 
and how he will and should respond and how we will feel about it. But if you've been a follower of Jesus long enough, you've encountered a moment where God did not meet those expectations. The prayer wasn't answered. The things that you've been believing for doesn't come about. The promotion that you believed was an answer to prayer, not all that it was cracked up to be. You read something in the Bible and that doesn't fit with your thinking of God. You see or experience a tragedy and you wonder where is God in all that? And maybe the disconnect there led you to be disillusioned in your faith. Disappointed. And that sowed some seeds of doubt in your mind and heart. See, the thing with disillusionment is, is if we remain there long enough in that state of mind, is we can actually become hard-hearted, calloused, and grow resentment. And we can begin to, to grow in bitterness towards God. Because he didn't show up how we expected. And then usually what we do is we distance ourselves from him and we distance ourselves from people and church communities because remaining in disappointment, remaining in that disillusionment safeguards us from more. I don't want to have any more expectations because I've already been disappointed before. God didn't show up last time. Why would I go there again? I'm just going to stay here but then we build up callous hearts and bitterness. And I think this is especially true as you get older, because as you get older, the innocence and the bliss of life kind of wears off. You have a little bit more experiences under your belt. You have more moments where God did not show up, more hardships, difficulties, setbacks. If I think over the past few years, a couple years, how much disillusionment has grown inside of us because of what we've experienced and what we thought God would do but didn't do. So what do we do when God doesn't meet our expectations? What do we do with that disillusionment? What do we do with that disappointment? Let's talk about Peter. Peter's moment. Up until this point, Jesus had mainly been ministering in the region of Galilee and the areas around it. He had not entered into Jerusalem, which was kind of like the epicenter for religion and faith. He'd kind of just been on the outskirts ministering. And everything that Jesus had been doing up until this point was astonishing. He's, he's healing miraculously. Like they're seeing lame people walk, blind receive sight. He's walked on water. You know, he's multiplied food. He's quite literally done the unnatural. He's, he's done the supernatural. He's, he's squared up and standoff against the religious elites. And nobody did that. He put them in their place. Like Jesus was revolutionary. And then there's this turning point in his ministry Jesus' three-year ministry, and actually centers around something that Peter said right before this scene. Jesus brings his disciples to this place, and he, and he says to them, he asks them a question, hey, who, who do people say I am? Some say you're Jeremiah or Elijah or one of the prophets. And then he says to his disciples, the guys who are closest to him, he's like, well, who do you say I am? And Peter pipes up, you're the Messiah. You're the one we've been waiting for. You're the son of the living God. 
Like what a confession of faith. Such a confession of faith that Jesus declared that is the confession on which the church would be built. That is the foundation on which the church would build, that confession of faith. I'm going to spark a movement through that confession of faith, Peter. Such a moment that Peter had. And most scholars agree that that moment was the turning point in Jesus' ministry where he shifted from just doing ministry to actually walking towards the cross, setting his eyes on on his death and resurrection. So he turns to his disciples after this great confession of faith from Peter. And he says that he must suffer many things the chief priests and the elders, and that he'd be killed. But he'd be raised to life. Now, we, what we tend to do is when we read the scripture, because we've, we, we've, we're on the other end of a lot of this stuff, and so we pass by these things quickly. We know that the purpose of Christ was to come and to die on the cross and to be resurrected. We know that his mission was to, to save us from sin. So we're like, oh yeah, great, we move on. We can continue reading. But the disciples and Peter, they didn't know that. Their expectation of Jesus was completely different. Most of the Jews at the time had this expectation that the Messiah would be this warrior king who would come and deliver them from oppression and set up an earthly kingdom. It'd be like a David. Remember the stories of David, King David, that he'd come and he'd fight for his people. That was the expectation. And everything that Jesus had been doing up until this point was meeting those expectations. All the things that he was doing were like profound. Nobody speaks to the weather and it changes. I try that, it doesn't work. Nobody walks on water. I've tried it, it doesn't work. I remember as a kid trying that, like, I got faith. I'd sink. Where's my faith? Peter had different expectations. Now, Peter was a fisherman, he was part of the 12 disciples. And he's one of Jesus' inner three disciples. So he, he was witness to some things that the other ones weren't. He got to see a lot of amazing things. And Peter was a bit of a go-getter. Like Peter was not, he was, he was action, not talk. He was quick to move, right? He, he, was, he was a fighter, he was, which at times got him in a lot of trouble. He's the first to speak up, the first to run, the first to go. And Peter had this expectation of Jesus, and then Jesus drops this bomb. So what does Peter do when his expectations of the Messiah collide with his reality? He does what Peter does. He pulls Jesus aside. Can you imagine? Hey, Jesus, I'm going to talk to you. Get over here. This thing? It's never going to happen. Can you imagine saying that to Jesus? Can you imagine saying that to the Messiah? Like, this is not just being angry at God for doing, like, this is, mm -mm, no. Someone's wrong here, and it's not me. (laughs) He pulls him aside, and he lets him know. And look at what Peter's feeling. He's feeling frustration, disillusionment, anger even, and it stems from feeling let down. I believe, maybe led astray, a little bait and switch. Follow me and we'll change the world. I'm going to suffer and I'm going to die. No, it's not what I signed up for. And this is not unlike what a lot of us feel and do when God doesn't meet what we expect of him. When his truth meets our perceived notions, truth is something our culture does not like. 
Truth is offensive, it's exclusive, it's intolerant, it's divisive. And we've been so influenced by our culture that when we're faced with God's truth, God's reality to our expectations is we have similar reactions as Peter. No, 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 Jesus, this is not going to happen. This is not how it's supposed to go. We get defensive, we get angry, we're offended, disappointed, and when that sinks in, we can easily feel abandoned. We feel like God has not been loyal to us. I've put in my chips, God. How come you're not holding up your end of the bargain? And maybe you're there. Maybe you're someone who's in a moment where you feel abandoned by God. Because he did not show up and answer the prayer or do the thing that you had expected of him. So Peter tries to correct Jesus, tries to pull him aside. And what Peter shows us is you can know who Jesus is and you can be wrong about his mission. You can confess faith in Jesus Lord as God as Savior and have formed completely wrong conclusions about his values and about his mission and his actions and scriptural truths. So you and I do what Peter does in a manner of speaking. We pull Jesus aside and we say things like, this is not how things are supposed to go. And what we do is instead of realigning our thinking with Jesus, with his truth and his reality, is we change our Jesus. We actually modify our God. You know, like in all relationships, we bring our expectations to a relationship with God and we create a schematic of how God should operate. And when God doesn't perform the way we think that he should, we, we begin to doubt the reality of our faith and the truth about God, so we remodel God. We fashion God into our own liking instead of allowing our thinking to be, to be changed and transformed. And, and Pete, Paul actually prophesied about this. In 2 Timothy verse 4, he says, For a time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. I don't like what I'm hearing, so I'm going to go elsewhere to find what I want to hear. I don't like what's being said from the pulpit. I don't like what that that scripture is. So I'm going to cross that scripture. I'm going to rip that page out. That's not who I think Jesus is. That's not what I believe. I don't think, I don't know how many times I've heard this. I don't think God would do that. Sometimes it doesn't matter what you think. Because you are finite. I'm finite. We can be wrong about God. And so we fashion God in our own likeness and we go to the people who are saying the things we want to say. This is why people hop churches. This is why people build a theology from TikTok influencers. People people build more of their thinking about God based on what they see on social media than actual scriptures. Like heaven forbid we read a scholar maybe. Like I know that's really heavy. I'm not expecting us to read. Just read the scriptures. Yeah, but so-and-so said... So-and-so might be wrong. Maybe they're right. I'm not going to be that crass this morning, okay? They might be right. They could be really wrong. But I don't think God, God, your God doesn't do what I want him to do. 
Sometimes he doesn't do what I want him to do. I struggle and I wrestle with some of the scriptural truths because it's not fun. It's not, it's not easy. When I live in a culture and a world that is completely on the other end and I interact with people on a constant basis who believe the complete opposite, it's really awkward. It's really awkward in this month, June. It's really uncomfortable to hold some of those, to some of those truths of scripture in a world that doesn't. And what we can do is we can say, hmm, I like this. This is better. This fits. Yeah, I feel good about this. I feel, I feel, I feel good, so it must be God. Your feelings will betray you all the time. Mine betray me on a daily basis, mostly because of my kids. <laughs> because they do things, and I'm like, I, I love you. I don't feel love for you right now. Feelings can betray us. So what do we do often when, when our expectations of God and of truth and of how we should operate collide with our experiences is we remodel God. Well, I don't think God will be like this. Have you searched the scriptures? That's what the barren Jews did in Acts when they were confronted by Paul's teaching. They're like, wait a second. This, we're going to go back to the scriptures and see if what he's saying makes sense. And they did and they saw they realigned their thinking around the truth as opposed to trying to remodel their God. And that's really hard to do. Romans chapter 12, right? Do not conform to the pattern of this world, which goes along with what it wants and what it feels like, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, by repentance, by change. And listen, that's really easy to say. It's really hard to do when you're in that moment. Like, you can, we can nod heads and be like, yeah, I'm with you. Until we're actually in the moment where what I think about God is not lining up with what my, my reality. What do you do? It's really hard to say, I'm wrong here. To, to check our pride at the door and, and submit it to God and say, I don't like this. And this is uncomfortable. And this is hard. But I humbly submit to you because you are God and I am not. And you're still good. You're still good. Even though this tragedy is still happening. You are still a good God who sent his son to die in my place. You are still an all-loving father. You are still benevolent. That's really hard to do. I was reading a story this past couple weeks of a man named Arzamat who had converted from, uh, from Islam to Christianity. And when he gave his life to Jesus, he was disowned by his father. He was kicked out of his house. And he was cut off from the family and his culture. But his conviction of who Jesus was was worth the sacrifice. Years later, he got married. And God had begun to restore the things he had lost. His wife became pregnant. And soon she went into labor a little too early, seven months too early she gave birth to a stillborn baby. And I can't imagine that. Can't Im and so given the fact that he lived in a, in a culture and a nation where they would not honor the death of his child because of his faith, he had to dig his own child's grave. But he renewed his strength. 
Two years later, his wife got pregnant again. And all the joys and, and excitement that come with pregnancy came, but there was caution, extra appointments, extra prayer, lots of prayer. His wife went into labor again too early, a few months too early. They rushed her to the hospital. They had people come and pray at the hospital, story goes. She gave birth to another stillborn baby. And this time, as he dug his second child's grave, the thoughts came across his mind. I'm done. I'm done. Where is the God that I have committed my life to, that I've sacrificed so much for? I had expectation that you would show up. Where are you in this moment? Now, he could have stayed there, and he could have deconstructed his faith, and he could have remodeled his faith into the liking that he'd like. But instead, as he renewed his mind, he repented of his thoughts, and he turned towards Christ. Now, as I was reading the story, it kind of skipped a lot, but today he stands as a father of three boys, following the Lord. Peter's expectations don't meet with Jesus' truth. So look at Jesus' Jesus's response. It's tough. Verse 23, Jesus turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me, and you do not have in your mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Talk about offensive. Can you imagine? Jesus called Peter Satan. I don't want to burst your like bubble of of picture of Jesus because he's so loving and compassionate. And when he says this, he's not he's not saying that that he is the devil. He's not even saying that he's possessed by the devil, but the things that he's spouting out about God and about God's plan and who Jesus was was in line with the thinking of the devil. His desires were demonic because his mind was focused on man and what he wanted and not on God and what God had planned. And can't that be us too? Maybe not to this degree, but our mind gets focused and tunnel vision on the things that we want from God as opposed to God's plan. It's the influence of the devil that leads us to focus on our reality and not his. So we need to ask ourselves, in my relationship with God, is it about him meeting my expectations? And when he doesn't, do I doubt him and become disillusioned, disappointed? Or is my relationship with God about him shaping my desires and my perspectives and my understanding of life to his will and learning to trust him even when it's difficult? Can I trust? Here's the question. This is what it boils down to. Can I trust Jesus when he doesn't meet my expectations? Yes. I'm going to give you two reasons why. I'm going to close and I'm going to close in prayer. Two reasons why. Number one is his character. His character. Jesus is Lord, but he's also a servant. 
He's truthful, but he's also full of grace. He's compassionate and sympathetic. He has love for the destitute, the disenfranchised, the broken, for sick sinners. When I question God and I find myself in those disappointing situations, disillusioned in my faith, I look to the character of Jesus. When I'm doubting the reality of God because of life circumstances or whatever it may be, I look to the character of Jesus. Colossians tells us that he is the image of the invisible God. He is the lens by which I understand and view God. So when God doesn't answer the prayer and when he doesn't stop the tragedy and when the doctrine is offensive and when the truth is a hard pill to swallow and my reality doesn't meet my expectations, when I don't feel provided for and yet we call him the provider, when I'm not experiencing healing and yet he's the healer, when I don't see reconciliation happening in my family and yet he's the one who reconciles all things, when we sing that he's the way maker but I feel like there's no way, when I'm full of anxiety and he's the prince of peace, when I don't feel the comfort, but he's the great comforter, when I'm definitely not feeling protected and he's the protector, when I have no help or feel like I have no help and he's the wonderful counselor and I'm wrestling with this disillusionment, what do I do is I look to the character of Jesus who is who he is And our call to mind that he is still good and he is still loving and he's still full of compassion and mercy and grace and he is with me. And although I may be experiencing and seeing difficulty and hardship and my expectations are not being met, I'm still in the middle of the story. Number two is the cross. Because Jesus actually did the unexpected, thank God. And the unexpected was so much more. No one expected Jesus to die. No one expected Jesus to offer his life as a sacrifice for all sin. Can you imagine Jesus only came for the nation of Israel in that time and that place in history? Set up an earthly kingdom that lasted maybe, let's even say a couple hundred years. Jesus did the unexpected. He took upon himself the sins of the world, past, present, and future. He hung on the cross. He took the wrath of God. He gave us his righteousness. He sacrificed himself for us. He made a way where there was no possible way to God. He provided when there was no eternal provision. He healed our severed relationship. He restored what was lost in humanity. And so when my expectations go unmet and I'm faced with the hard reality of life, I look to the, to the cross and I look to Christ. I say, God, I don't feel it right now. I don't see it right now, but I know you are good. This is not good, but I know that you are. This circumstance is really hard, but you are still here. This is not ending the way it should but you still love me because you are the Christ. So I can expect when I look to the cross to be saved. And I can expect that when I die, I will rise again at the second coming and the resurrection of Christ and enter into eternal glory. I can expect that when he returns to be changed into glory, meet Christ as he ushers in his rule and reign. I can expect that all pain 
and suffering and evil to be no more and for joy to fill me perpetually because it was promised through his death. That's what I can expect. It was a promise in scripture. And so I realign my expectations around the scriptures. I realign what I think about God around what the scriptures say about Jesus. Because just so you know, I'm going to read one scripture and pray. Is if you faced in a moment where those two experience and expectations are colliding, God is not wrong. You are. And that might be in a painful moment. It might be in a really difficult moment. But he's still God. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7, Paul says this. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. We are hard-pressed on every side but not crushed, perplexed but not in despair, persecuted but not abandoned, struck down but not destroyed. We always carry in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. For we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that this, his life may also be revealed in our mortal bodies. So then, death is at work in us, but life is also at work in you. Since we have been the same spirit, we also believe and therefore speak, because we know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus from the dead will also raise us with Jesus and present us with him to himself." All this is for your benefit so that the grace that is reaching more and more people may cause thanksgiving to overflow to the glory of God. Therefore, do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light, here it is, for our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen, since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. So what do I do when my expectations of God are not met by God? I renew my mind, I look to Christ, and I look to the cross. Did you bow your heads with me? Let's pray. Father, we just come to you in this moment now. God, and we submit, I submit my expectations that I've brought to this relationship to you. And I know, Lord, that there may be moments where I expect one thing and receive another. And I may find myself in this disillusioned state disappointed, and seeds of doubt sowing inside my heart and mind. But I pray that you would give me strength and give us strength in those times to look to the character of Jesus, to look to the cross and what you gave to give us strength through those times. Lord, I pray for someone here this morning who maybe is there. Doubt has, has clogged their mind and their heart. They're doubting faith. They're doubting you. Would you just speak very clearly to their heart and mind? Would you renew their faith? Would you remind them of Christ? Would you remind them of the cross? Renew their thinking. And Lord, for all of us, let us take Romans chapter 12 to heart. Let us not conform to the pattern of this world, but let us be transformed by renewing our mind as we submit and follow after Christ. 
I pray you bless every person here in the name of Jesus, everyone within the sound of my voice. We love you, Father. We bless you. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, God bless you today. And when you find yourself there, remember he loves you. He cares for you and he's with you. I speak the name of Jesus over your life. I speak the name of Jesus over your situation. Thank you so much for listening. We hope that this message brought you closer with Jesus and gave you a better understanding of your walk with him today. If you would like to know more about who we are as a church, you can visit our website, weareparkway.com. You can also like us on Facebook and follow us on Instagram at parkway.church.